Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives, a sway of people who have achieved amazing things in their professional fields. My name is Mia McLeod, and I'm the founder of Digital Collective Co. We are a collective of digital experts who have come together during a time of adversity, all aligned in the mission of finding a better way of working while simultaneously improving the balance in our lives. Hi, I'm Danielle. I'm the author of Breaking the Gender Code, a new book that looks at the hidden codes that are holding women back and how to help rewrite them. And I'm here today with Caitlin, and we're talking about why the myth of having it all is actually stopping us from having what we truly want in life. My name is Caitlin and I'm a member of Digital Collective Co. We're a collective of digital experts who have come together during this time of adversity. We're all aligned in the mission of finding a better way of working while simultaneously improving the balance in our lives. Today, I'm speaking with Danielle Dobson, the author of Breaking the Gender Code. This book was inspired by Danielle's two-year research project into women in leadership. It's a part memoir, part business book, and part manual for navigating the modern world. Sounds like a book we all need, huh? Hi, Danielle. I'm so excited to be talking to you today, and thank you for joining us on A Moment with Modern Mentors. As a working mum myself, I can certainly relate to the myth of having it all and trying to juggle everything to achieve a so-called balanced life. Perhaps to begin with, can you just give us a bit of a summary of what led you to writing the book? Mm, that's a great question, and I could talk a lot about this like where to start, Mm -hmm. but it all really started when I was in Seattle. I was on a three-day coaching intensive with with my own coach, Pam, and I was looking at ways to ramp up my business. So I was a a wellness coach and executive coach at the time, specializing in well-being. And I could see that a lot of my clients were really, you know, struggling with, you know, juggling everything and work-life balance and and it was leading to exhaustion and depletion. So I brought that into the discussion and I'm there with Pam and I just didn't know, you know, where to head. I was kind of stuck. And she said, you've got to get to know the people you want to work with and support better. So what's going on for them? What are their biggest challenges and how can you help them? And those three questions just blew up everything. It was like, that's when I started thinking, right, I have to start speaking to these people and really understand their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I started a research project. It was called The Wonders of Women Leaders. And it was really just a market research project to understand them all, their perspective. So, and I specialized in women who lead at work and who lead at home as lead parents. And I wanted to see what was working well across both rather than, you know, what are all the differences and how it's really hard trying to understand what's working well in all things that they do. So I went back into my corporate back in time because I was spent 13 years building a career there in uh, as a CPA and I worked for multinationals all across the world in all sorts of different roles. And so I went back in there and I started interviewing women who seemed to be successful and be doing both, you know, well. And it was incredible what I found out, like so many of them were leading lonely. So leading at the top, feeling like they had to do it all, be everything and looking after everyone else and not themselves. Then I also found that, you know, I found out a few things about parenting, some really interesting things about how being a leader 
at work is very can be very consistent with you know being a leader at home because every single one of them except one said after they became a parent they became a better leader and it positively impacted everyone they led mm. so I was you know really interested to find out more about that because we often get this perception that women who are working with children are more of a liability than an asset. Mm. And then also what kept coming up were all these stories around gender disparity and, you know, poor treatment of women in the workplace and the unequal distribution of unpaid work. So what actually started as a research mission, a research project became a mission because I wanted to try and help women kick that, you know, get rid of the juggle and the struggle and, you know, work-life balance and all of those myths that we've been buying into. And what I found along the way was that there there was this thing called the gender code that was impacting all of us mm. and it was hold, as holding all of us back. But the problem is it's so ingrained in our culture that we don't actually realise that it's causing all these performance pressures like, you know, barriers around imperfection and emotional labour and emotional load, caring pressure, time pressure, having it all pressure. So that code is actually creating all of these pressures. And so I thought, this is just too good to keep to myself as a research project. I've got to share it more broadly. And that's when I thought, okay, the best thing to do probably is to write a book about it. So I created an avatar, Rebecca Fletcher. She looks a bit like you, actually. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I just got her picture out of a magazine and I looked at her her whole life and who she was and any time that I was, you know, struggling or wanted to give up, I said, no, you've got to keep going, Danielle. Rebecca needs this book. I needed this book five years ago. So, yeah, so that's how I came to it. There's a lot that happened within that, but that's how it all started. So what is the gender code? Okay, so I have called it a code just so it's easy to sort of understand. But it's that set of beliefs that we all, you know, recognise about the natural differences between men and women. Mm-hmm. And these beliefs create stereotypes that firmly keep the different genders in different boxes. Mm-hmm. And specifically, it keeps women from pursuing our dreams and goals in life because women are typically pigeonholed as a carer mm-hmm. and men as the provider. And a lot of that comes from the hunter-gatherer kind of, you know, myth that we've been led to believe. But the thing is that, that even though we know, you know, intellectually that it's not right, mm. the code is so strong around that it, that it's actually been embedded into our culture for millennia that it's really hard to let go of, even though... We know that it creates difficulties for us personally, in our relationships, in business and in our communities. So we see it all the time and we see it, you know, most, I guess, strongly in the home when a woman, you know, a woman starts to have a family and with the unequal distribution of unpaid labour around their house. So that's when the code really comes into place and all of the pressures and you know stereotypes that we've been buying into our whole lives start to emerge there why do you think women believe that we can have it all or want to have it all or you know what where does that come from 
that question because I talk about that in my book. That's where we are now. That's the kind of language that we use and an aspiration of having it all. It's, it's in the popular narrative. But what I would like to help people understand and open up is, is it really having it all? And what does having it all mean? So is having it all our own definition or is it something that society is determined? Because if you look at what having it all is, the traditional, you know, the popular kind of view is working and having a family. And so when you think about it, you dial it right down, why is wanting to have a family and wanting to work having it all? Like why is that something that comes with some pressure? Mm. When in both realms, you're just wanting to contribute your best and be who you are in both realms and have an important contribution to your family or society or your workplace. And, yes, yeah, so the one in the workplace we get paid for, mm-hmm. but we don't get paid at home. And the interesting thing is we never really talk about men having it all. Why is it women having it all as if aspiring to want to work and contribute and mm-hmm. have a family is something that is, you know, highly aspirational? Mm. You know, I guess I really would like to help people understand, like, why do we actually talk about having it all? Why isn't it just I'm working, some of it I get paid for, some of it I don't? (laughs) Do you think it's the mindset rather than thinking that we're having it all, just thinking, well, this is my, this is what I do, like, and no excuses kind of thing? Absolutely. This is just what I do. And, Mm. And where I feel that a lot of the pressure comes from is gender code those Mm. you know cultural beliefs that the woman is supposed to be the carer Mm. and the nurturer Mm -hmm. and it's primarily her role yeah and then the man is primarily the provider yeah and the breadwinner and that's his role and if if we look at the way we're all brought up the gendered you know training that we all receive it starts from early childhood Mm. like the play behaviors of, Mm. of boys and girls and it starts even before that with the way babies are handled. Yeah. So there's been studies that universities have conducted where they'll have female babies dressed as boys. The way people treat them mm. are much different to when they're dressed as girls. Yeah. And then all the way through you look at childhood play behaviour. With boys, a lot of the games, this is totally, you know, gender essentialist and it's not all boys, but... Typically their games, there's a winner, there's a loser, there's hierarchy, there's a lot of winning and losing. So you can, you know, you'd, you'd learn to drop the loss and look to the next win. Mm-hmm. So you're always looking to the next win. Yeah. You pick the person on your team who's the biggest, roughest, or the person who's going to help you win, not the one with the best social skills. Mm-hmm. So boys are sort of trained to drop the loss, move to the next win. They know where they are in the hierarchy. There's always outcomes. They move to the next thing. So if you take that into the workplace, they've been yeah. trained for that system yeah. their whole lives. So is the, the strategies that you're putting in place not only how women deal with it but also how they raise their children? Absolutely. And I have three boys myself. Mm-hmm. I have a 9-year-old, 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. And their dad lives in China with his wife and their daughter. So it's me solo. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I get a little bit, drill sergeant or whatever about the way they're interacting with each other because they follow that, you know, typical male gendered way of operating, which is fine, absolutely fine. And there's no, but what I try to do is 
keeping in empathy and connection and understanding of, you know, how they're all communicating together and what kind of brother they want to be with each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And trying not to bring in any shame or anything like or judgment, but helping them to see. So, you know, cultivating that, you know, awareness, self-awareness, observation, self-knowledge data mm-hmm. bank. Because I don't want to, yeah, uh, make them think that they're wrong, but just to help open them up. Mm. Because the gendered female way of, of operating, you know, childhood play behaviour is more around relational and process. Mm. So if you look at the games that girls traditionally play, competition can sometimes be seen as a relationship breakdown. Mm, yeah. So you take that into the workplace yeah. and you've been trained for a different way of operating, then you're not trained as much for that for that environment we need to build that up in women and probably building up that resilience of of losing as well in girls absolutely Um, which I know they certainly like seem to focus a lot on in schools resilience building which I'm sure we can all learn a lot from really can't we absolutely and and I think that's something that we do actually do every day Mm. so it's actually being mindful of it and Mm. paying attention to what we're doing and how we're doing it and being I guess parents who are helping that, you know, helping bringing that to their attention, mm. not necessarily teaching them stuff all the time, but bringing to attention how they are already operating now, all their gifts and strengths, and how they can bring that to resilience, how they can bring that to communication, how they can bring that to learning in the classroom. In the work that you do, what other strategies do you suggest to women who particularly are feeling like they're wanting to um, expand their wings a bit and are finding it, you know, difficult to balance it all or to have it all? Like what's the, what helps? What helps? I would say what actually helps is to work out what's most important to you. Mm -hmm. So it might be your family, it might be work, and it's easy to understand those sort of things, but understanding actually what's that deeper core part of you. So what's the most important thing to you? When I work with clients, we talk about this and some clients it might be growth, personal growth. That's one that comes up quite a lot actually, Mm -hmm. personal growth. So if growth is really important to you and it's one of your top values, so looking at all your values and, you know, what is most important right at the core of who you are, then when you make decisions based on that important thing, so just say it is growth, then every decision you make is the right one because that's the most important thing to you. So just say you're, so, you know, what you're doing, Caitlin. So let's just say it is growth because I don't know, I haven't asked you, but just say <laughs> it is growth. Yeah. So if you throughout your day and at the end of the day, you feel like you've contributed and that you've helped people and that you've personally grown or developed in some way at the end of the day, yeah. then you're doing the right thing. You're doing the best thing for you and your family because you're, you're contributing to everyone that you work with and your family. And then just say you are looking for opportunities for your children to mm. join clubs, to build their strengths, to have opportunities and experiences. And if it's growth that's important to you, then you're doing those things that are reinforcing your value of growth. Mm -hmm. So understanding what's really important, what's the most important thing to you and using that as a compass, Mm -hmm. then that helps to just, 
you know, shut out the noise of those messages that are coming in, those societal messages and those cultural beliefs and that gender code that might be talking really loudly. If you are coming from that important place using those things that are most important to you as a compass, Mm. then you're making all the right decisions. So do you think it's as simple as women giving themselves permission to make these decisions of what they value and, and striving for it? Absolutely. And I love that, that you've said it like that because that mm. is it in a nutshell. So that is the simple sort of summary. Yeah. The challenging part is the how. <laughs> like, yeah, um, so absolutely. how do we do it? How yeah. do we do it? What I found in my work that is really important to do is to go through that process of understanding that we need to give ourselves permission mm-hmm. and then we want to do it. So there's, you know, there's two elements to it and it's not kind of as easy as, as giving myself permission. And what I found a lot with women is when we tap into something beyond ourselves, so a higher purpose. So that could be our kids, it could be serving the community, it could be something that higher mission. When we can tap into that and use that as a need and a want, mm. then we're likely to be more successful. But if we just think we're doing it for ourselves, honestly, the majority of the time it's not sustainable. And I know that from, you know, I was a personal trainer as well for a little bit and then a wellness coach. So understanding how people are motivated and I was noticing that the people who stuck with it with me and had that continual momentum were people who were doing it for other, you know, health reasons. They really had to make a difference or it was for their family because they knew that they were going to be a better mum. They knew that they were going to be a better wife, that their mood was better. Mm. And then the results were that they had a lot more energy. They had a lot more sense of fulfillment and momentum and focus. Mm. So, Tapping into that is really important to make these changes to be able to give ourselves permission. When we're giving ourselves permission, I mean, it's a one step to be able to say, this is what I want to do. But obviously in your life, you have to get everyone else on board. How do you get your partner on board and your kids to, you know, respect the choices that you're making when they may not feel that it's the best for them, even though ultimately it probably is? So it's easy to just say it, okay? But it takes time to actually work at it. So with my boys, with my kids, I could see what was happening and how the gender stereotypes were at play. And so I decided to slowly bring them in and slowly upskill them, okay? So I basically thought, actually, I didn't get any real training in this, like everything that I do. I've developed it over years and years of having to do it. They can do it too. So I basically say start with capable. So start with the belief that everyone in your house is capable of doing what you do. They are way behind in terms of years and they haven't had, you know, they're male, they haven't necessarily had the gender, you know, societal messages you have around expectations. But we're all actually individually different. All men are not naturally better providing. All women are not naturally suited as carers. It's something that we're trained to do. It's encultured. It's not innate. So starting with that mindset, okay, everyone in this house is capable of doing what I do. But then that element of that is hard. What I find with a lot of people and I found too, it's hard to let go of that. So that's where the self-compassion comes into and it's just things like okay my way is not the only way and it may not be the best way 
but it's the way I know and it's the way that I've been doing it for a long time and that's Mm. okay. So it's okay for me to feel like this. So it doesn't mean that others can't do it too. Mm. And I'll have some compassion for them because they haven't had the same training that I've had Mm. or the messages. So starting just with that mindset around everyone is capable, start with capable. Because if we look at men, like they can run ships, they can organize all sorts of logistical challenges. They just bring their, their individual strengths to those challenges. So, you know, starting with capable, I think is, is one that we, you can apply to everyone in the household. And then also what I found too is, you know, the, the first step to gender equality is true partnerships. Mm. So true partnerships and that you, you may not be partnered, but true partnerships with people who really want to see you flourish, really want to see you succeed. Mm. So that could be you know, other people like you know, other families, friends, people in your community. Just saying you do have a partner at home. And I've actually got like a, a process in the book around this, around building true partnerships. And essential, the first step is communication. Mm. Like communication, understanding each other's values. And even if they're not 100% aligned, at least respecting each other's values. Mm. And then looking at where you want to head together, Mm. like a family mission, understanding that there's going to be differences along the way. So, you know, one time, you know, someone's career might be more important and the other person takes a support role. And then there's another transition phase and someone, you know, having children, but all those different transition phases and committing to do them together because you're working towards this family mission, whatever that looks like for you. So I think the mindset shift is start with capable. Everyone in this house is capable. And then having great communication, open communication, difficult conversations sometimes, a lot of the time at first, and being clear, consistent and not making assumptions so making, asking questions rather than making assumptions. Oh, I assumed you'd take the washing off the line because it was just about to rain. But actually, <laughs> how often does that happen? So being clear about, you know, asking questions, can you get it off the line? You know, well, I thought you'd, you would have checked for errors in that report before you submitted it. But can you check those errors before you submit? Yeah. So asking rather than assuming, and it will change your life if you do that. Do you think also lowering expectations of particularly like I'm thinking, you know, women who like things done a certain way and mm-hmm. um, around the house or, you know, and their partner may not do it the same way, may not do it mm-hmm. as well in their eyes. You know, do you think we need yeah. to kind of lower our expectations and realise that, you know, it can be done differently and maybe doesn't have to be done perfectly all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a, a practical step. And once again, like you've nailed it again, it's, it sounds so simple. The thing is with, with what I do in a lot of my work is I always try and understand what's, you know, how did we get here with that? Mm. And it is a lot of it is to do with the training. And that's where that self-compassion piece comes in. It's like, okay, what do I want to move away from? And what do I want to move towards? So I guess for me, I found and experimenting with all this work with the researchers, like I want to move away from being Dobby the house slave. I don't want to be the house slave. Okay, That's what I want to move away from. I want to be able to create opportunities to do other things with my time. Yep. And also I don't want to use that mental energy with it. 
So I want to move away from that. And yeah, and I want to move towards other opportunities. So things that I can do in my work, things that I can do in my personal life, things that I can you know, create space for. So we need to have a, you know, a decent motivator to change. And we can call it lowering expectations if you want, or we can look at it as creating opportunities and not being the house slave, you know, not taking on all the, and because the last thing I ever want to do with all of my work is give women another thing to do on the to-do list Mm. or make it about them or that it's our fault that where we're at. It's not, it's, it's training, it's messages, and it's how much we've bought into the, the gender code and created our own pressures, but we are in control of it. We can change it, but a lot of it is mindset. So yeah, rather than lowering expectations, looking at what I want to move away from and what I want to move towards. Mm. One of the phrases that really struck me in the book was you're the person that does all the work. You're standing there and even if you're not the one that always feeds the dog, the dog comes and sits in front of you. And that (laughs) just like, that's so my life. Like I don't have Mm. a dog, but I have three Mm. children. And even though my husband is a very capable, very present parent, they still come Mm. to me. How do you change mm. that? <laughs> so I guess my first question would be, do you want to, it to change? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. Maybe I like that. This is mm. becoming therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting question to ask because in part of the book, I did some research on this exact thing because it's like what women are capable, we're smart, we're intelligent, we're strategic, we have everything that we need, we are resourceful, you can get stuff done. I mean, a woman with children and a a full-time job, they get a lot of stuff done. So why are these sticking points still there? So I dug deeper and that's what I found in Anne-Marie's Slaughter's work. She said that part of what we need to do and let go of is that feeling of being needed and that is that is very personal so it's very personal for each person yeah so you know the surface thing is I don't want to have to do all these jobs like why can't dad do it or you know but the deeper level thing is but do I actually like this feeling of being needed is that serving me in some way and if it is is there something else you know that I can do you know that I'll still feel needed yeah and I can start you are working on getting dad or the other person to contribute Mm. more and set up that pattern of behaviour. I don't know, ask your dad, I'd love to help you and you're so important to me and you're a high priority, but can you ask dad? You know, it is doable, but you've got to want to do it. Yeah. So obviously the book's launched at an unusual time. The Mm. recession's being called the she session because women are more likely to have lost their jobs and they're more impacted by the homeschooling. Is there anything women can do right now to improve their situation? Mm. I think everyone's so different, has such unique context. And, you know, even with the different types of industries, as, as you mentioned, the she session, it's hitting the professions and industries that, predominantly have caring at the centre, you know, childcare, aged care, you know, early childhood, you know, nursing, all of those roles where caring's at the centre. So in terms of each individual person, 
I think the best thing to do, I mean, one of the things to do, which it is hard because, you know, typically we don't have a lot of energy right now, but it's to start this process of questioning. I think that's the, that's the first step. So questioning, and you can call it whatever you can, but, but I talk about questioning the gender code. So questioning all these codes and all these rules and all the, the ones that are written, the ones that are unwritten, questioning them, understanding and interpreting them, mm-hmm. and then asking ourselves, does this make sense anymore? And if needed, reprioritizing our personal values because mm-hmm. now is the perfect time to do this with so much going on and so much that it has exploded. Yeah. And, and asking doesn't make sense. Mm. And if it doesn't, we're thinking about, okay, what parts of, you know, my own code that I've built over a lifetime, what parts of that do I value and want to keep? Yeah. What parts of it do I want to delete completely? Mm. And what new parts do I want to create? So, you know, there is a process there, but, I, you know, because there is so much going on right now and everyone has such different contexts and such different experiences. And, I mean, we all found this first round of, of lockdowns where when the kids were home, homeschooling, you, you find out how your kids learn about yeah, all sorts of things. So I, I think that the best thing to do right now is looking at our own code and, you know, looking at rewriting it and creating something else. And that is a building process yeah. and that's what the book's for, which, which will help with that as the guide. And I would say, you know, as individuals, yeah, being aware, having the conversations. I mean, I have so many ideas about what to do on a bigger scale and around advocacy and policy and all of those things, but as individual women, it's that time to reassess, to turn the dial and to reprioritise our personal values. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, now I'm going to ask a few questions, some of the questions that we ask all our mentors. So I mm-hmm. will just pick a few. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular book that has changed your life? Yes, it's called The Untethered Soul mm-hmm. by Michael A. Singer. Okay. Yeah absolutely change everything it's like my bible like a spiritual bible so i highly recommend it i work about it. it was so amazing well it he uses all of the wisdom i guess from all the masters throughout you know history so taoism you know buddhism christianity judaism and he simplifies everything about all of those kind of perceptions and and there's philosophy in there and he talks about energy and he talks about who we are and consciousness. And it just really, I dig back into it all the time. I have it on Audible as well. Every single page is full of gold, you know, mm-hmm. about who we are, who we want to be, what drives us and, you know, our contribution to the world. So it, it changed everything for me. Totally. Amazing. Sounds like a must read. It totally must read here. <laughs> Which of your habits do you credit for most improving your life in recent years? Absolutely my morning routine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We were living in China for a year in 2012-13. The kids were really little, one, three and five. It was a really tough time. That's when our marriage really imploded. And I was seeing a acupuncturist and he, he was running this course, Eat, Breathe, Sleep or something. And it was basically teaching about all the ancient practices, like Taoist practices of having a healthy life. 
And it started with this morning routine. And I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be able to do that with all, you know, all the kids being so little. I had human alarm clocks. I didn't ever need an alarm clock. But he suggested a practice where, you, you know, you get up in the morning, you have a hot water with a bit of lemon in it or something, go to the toilet if you can, and then do 10 minutes of qigong, like eight reps of eight moves. And honestly, it changed my life. I took my day back. <laughs> like it was a really great grounding for the day. And it's 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. So 30 minutes in the morning. So getting up an extra 30 minutes before the human alarm clock, bringing in the morning, you know, on your own terms. And then what I felt with that, even though I was under the pump, you know, completely throughout the day, is that I'd given to myself first before I gave to the world. Yeah. So throughout the day, I wasn't chasing me time at all Mm. because I felt like I had started the day on my own terms and Mm. created some space. And that was 2012 and I'm still doing that. Now I get up pretty much the same time, do the qigong, the the drink, and then I've expanded it a bit. I then do exercise or meditation or something and I've trained the boys (laughs) to be able to be fairly independent Mm. while I'm doing exercise. So, But that 20 to 30 minutes in the morning is, I credit that with sanity. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds amazing. So valuable. (laughs) How do you push forward when you're feeling unmotivated or overwhelmed? Mm, That's a good one. So first of all, if I'm overwhelmed, I usually have to release the tension somehow. So I might yell at the kids or something or just let it out. So there's got to be some sort of release, okay? So whatever that is for everyone. But for me, it is, you know, certain times of the month as well with my mood, I will release a bit more. Um, but I always apologize and, and then walk, but there's got to be a, or a cry. That's actually my best one. Mm. A big cry in privacy or wherever you need to. That's something I tell my boys to do as well. They need to release their emotion and the tension and the buildup. Yeah. So releasing and knowing that it's not permanent. It's a point in time, this feeling of overwhelm and, you know, it might be sadness, grief disappointment, frustration, but it's something that you're going to move through and it's okay to feel how you feel and just release it. Mm, I think definitely at this time people feel like it's permanent, but we Mm. need to know we'll all get through it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What does success mean to you? Mm, It's interesting because all throughout my life, it's been a different thing. So success when I was younger was definitely about getting a house, getting a good job, being financially secure getting as far as I can in my career. And then I guess once <laughs> then your priority shift when you have children. So success for me right now, it's yeah, it's a it's a continuum, but for me right now is having a strong relationship with my kids and my partner, being able to share experiences together and really being able to feel like my contribution matters. So in my relationships and in my work, so that that I'm helping other people, that I'm making a difference, and then that I'm trying to create a better world. And honestly, that is what it is. But having the evidence of that is the tricky part, that you are doing a good job. I think that's what a lot of the times we struggle with. Mm. 
For our final question today, we'd like to know if you could speak to everyone in the world, what would you say? I would say ask more questions, listen more intently on purpose and try and understand people as much as possible. Because I think when you do that, it leads to things like empathy. It leads to things like kindness and compassion Mm. because it's great to have those things, but there needs to be a process before that, I think. Mm. That's very good advice. Thank you for talking to me today, Danielle. It's been really insightful. No worries. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, it's so so interesting. (laughs) Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from A Moment with Modern Mentors coming your way soon.